You are listening to Ouija Broads. This is Liz. This is Devin. Thanking some new patrons. You ready for it? I'm so ready for it. I'm thanking Alicia. I'm thanking Katie. And I'm thanking Jenna. Alicia, Katie, and Jenna, thank you. This has been very helpful during this time, as you know, where we're getting an editor, we're doing all this kind of stuff. It's also very helpful during a time when we can't go to the damn library (laughs) to have such a nice collection of books in my Mm -hmm. house that I can just go access. Mm -hmm. It is tremendously useful. So thank you for your support. Thank you. Who are new patrons who are around for a while, patrons who have been with us in the past. I understand it's not always on the table financially. Always happy to thank you for that. Absolutely we are. And I would like to thank the massive amount of people who have, surprise, surprise, suddenly found themselves with enough free time to spend that free time sending me story ideas. I now, I have so many things I hadn't heard of before all of a sudden. A lot of them are a little bit off of our beaten path, so I don't think we're going to dive into all of them, but I've got two fairly solid leads. Um... But I just wanted to thank Mark and um, James for sending me. So hopefully, Mark and James, you guys will hear your ideas become reality in future episodes. That is so cool. I'm I'm excited for that. We yeah. talked a little bit about how I sent you a picture from this book that I pulled off the shelf today, Mysteries yeah. and Legends of Oregon by Jim Yeskovich, which is, of course, you know, very pertinent. But you opened the front cover, and yep. here's where we are at 130-odd episodes, yep. is chapter one, D.B. Cooper, Mystery Hijacker. Okay, well, we did two episodes on that. Yep. Chapter two, Bigfoot, The Wild Man of Oregon, where <laughs> five to seven episodes. Yeah. Chapter three, The Bridge of the Gods, which is actually about the great cataclysm in sunken forests, which I already have half prepared. Yep. Chapter four, The Port Orford Meteorite mystery yup did that done it chapter five lost blue bucket mine okay okay chapter six the haunting of hasita house check did that made a perfume about it <laughs> uh chapter seven the wreck of the beeswax <laughs> oh my goodness chapter eight the oregon vortex <laughs> chapter nine the willowa lake monster <laughs> chapter 10 portland shanghai city <laughs> <laughs> like you don't set out to do it but there's some heavy hitters and at this yep. point we have knocked down a lot of the heavy hitters yeah we have but this book and another called Lost Minds and Treasures of the Pacific Northwest by Ruby L. Holt have been very helpful for this story <gasps> and some articles that I will also add because, Devin, uh, we're going to uh, be able to make uh, everybody patrons because we're we? going to find a treasure. Are we going to find? Oh, you know I love finding treasure. treasure. You know I love it. Oh, my God. I'm always looking for treasure. I haven't found any yet, but I'm going to find it. Oh No, what have you picked up off the ground, though? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Thanks for putting me out on French Street. I really appreciate it, Liz. (laughs) Get on with your fucking story. I mean, everything's a treasure to somebody. In some ways. I'm sure they were treasured for the 15 minutes in which they were used. (laughs) All right. So this is an Oregon story, as you've no doubt gathered from the Mysteries and Legends of Oregon part. And this actually ties into another episode that we did, because it is very close to the Beeswax Galleon. Oh, yeah. And in fact, there are parts of the story that seem to have kind of hybridized over the years, where it's kind of unclear what came from what. But let me tell you the fantasy version. Real quick, though, the Beeswax Galleon is the one where it was a ship that actually had a lot of beeswax on it, and every Mm -hmm. now and then these, like, giant fucking ambergris earwax globules wash up on the beach, right? 
Yeah, we did that one back in um, Flotsam and Jetsam, That's where right. it was a, uh, half and half about the beeswax galleon and the floating feet of the Salish Sea. <laughs> yep, it was gross. <laughs> I have not picked up But yeah, up they one think that it was a, a Spanish galleon carrying beeswax for church candles, and they oh. still find it as along with a lot of Chinese porcelain mm. that's been broken mm-hmm. up. They still find it on the beaches sometimes. Mm-hmm. So this is near... Neocony Mountain, not far from Nehalem, mm-hmm. along the floodplain of the Salmon River. So in Oregon, this is the story that was being told in the early 20th century. So the story among the tribes of the area was that there was a ship with great white wings that in a howling gale got driven into rocks off the mouth of the Salmon River and sunk. Mm -hmm. There were about 20 survivors who made it to shore, carrying a large chest, which they buried somewhere just a short distance inland. They left two men behind to keep an eye on the treasure, including a very large black man. And the rest of the crew leaves. And in the part of the story... That was recorded here. And, like, I can't tell you every single version. There's ones where it changes slightly. There's some kind of argument between the two men. So the black man kills the other man. And then the Clatsup kill him. And this is the part where it really lost me. Having no use for or understanding of treasure, the Indians did not look for the buried chest. I'm like, what? What? What do you mean having no use? Like, people understand what valuable stuff is. Like, why would you not? I'd be like, what? What, were, what did you bury? I want to know. I'm it, curious. Yeah, it could be a fucking box of buttons and I'd still dig it up to check them out. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot of versions of that story. And in some ones, it's like, oh, only two people ever make it ashore. In some ones, it's just the very tall black man. Mm-hmm. In some ones, there's like a more ritualistic element. I should also mention that sometimes it says there was not a shipwreck. There was specifically just a ship that sent out a little boat to go bury this oh, chest. All right. Whatever it may be. So here's where it gets interesting. This has, of course, been incredibly of interest to treasure hunters yeah. over the years. Yeah. And in the 1930s, the early 1930s, there's this guy called E.G. Calkins, and he and some people who work for him are going through the sand on Three Rocks Beach, which is in Lincoln County. Okay. And what they're trying to do is not find treasure. They're trying to make a smooth area for the summer tourists to camp. Okay. So that, like, it's all kind of flat and level. Mm-hmm. They can put their tents on it. And he's like, okay, tourism is important. We're going to do this. So they're clearing away the driftwood and cleaning up garbage and all this kind of stuff. And they're finding some interesting things. Not beeswax at this time, but they find old iron kettles, stone grinding pestles, a club made of whalebone, piles of old seashells. And, I mean, I would be super excited, but that's routine. They're like, okay, you know, it's well known that tribes have camped in this area for 4,000 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, there's a huge shell mitten. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's, like, the stuff that people leave behind. But one of the guys looks over to old E.G. Calkins and he says, I found something weird. Or whatever one says in the 1930s. Oi! I I don't know what that is. (laughs) There's some really Looney Tunes crap over here, boss. Hot crackers. (laughs) Hot crackers. (laughs) What would that mean? 
mean? Crackers, I've got something. It's a thing. I've heard it before. I'm positive. Ships, Mary. Hot crackers. They say it. They absolutely. Three bean salad, Marty. They do say hot. No, whatever. It's a thing. It's a thing. So they all run over. Because of the hot crackers. And <laughs> Dick. What's what he's found is a human femur. Ugh. And they're like, okay. But these guys are smart, or at least they are smart in the version of the story that I am reading. Mm-hmm. And they go and they go, This is not a grave site. This is a campground. <laughs> like yeah. there's not supposed to be bodies here. Right. What is going on? We need to investigate. So they start digging around and they find two complete human skeletons. All right. One of which belonged to a very tall man. Mm-hmm. I got who, some ideas. when they bring it in to some experts, was of African origin. Well, that adds credibility to that oral history, doesn't it? Kind of does. It, his, his skeleton, and again, this is 1930s forensic science. Well, I don't know how well this holds up. Yeah, I'm like, but did they had pour bricks. up? They did say, like, it looked like he had been beaten. Like, it looked like he had... He had suffered trauma, and he had okay. a skull injury. The other one, sorry, the other skeleton had an injury consistent with an arrow wound and the kind of blunt trauma that would be made by a club. Okay. So these things are very interesting in context of the oral tradition. Uh, the oral tradition does not specify how those two guys, should they have been real, would have ended up buried on top of the treasure. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. did... The people in the area go gross and just like pile <laughs> sand on them, or they just left them. I think that's I a, don't know. that's what I would have done. Icky. Eh, eh. Don't care for this. No, I don't, don't care for this like that thing. Yeah. So that part is kind of left out. There's a basic version, right, where white men come ashore and then there's one black man mm-hmm. and there is this trunk. And it has something to do with Nahalem Bay in Tillamook County and Neocony Mountain, which is a landmark in Oregon. It's well known and it has become known as the Mountain of a Thousand Holes because mm-hmm. people really want to find that fucking treasure. Oh my god, that's my new Tinder profile, though. <laughs> That right there is my tagline. So the two stories of the beeswax galleon and this ship that presumably deposited treasure often get kind of mixed up. Sure. And so if people hear both, I'm sure it makes sense that they retell it as, you know, these Spanish guys. Mm -hmm. But there's no context clues as to when or what this ship would have been, except that it was roughly around the same time. It was not okay. very recent to white settlers coming in. Okay. Yeah. Now, there was also a story, an oral history, about a Portuguese ship that crashed somewhere around Halem Bay, where they were going to try to repair their broken ship, but a storm blew in and destroyed it. And so the crew hauls a heavy chest out, buries it on the beach, and leaves. Or maybe it was three ships that had a giant sea battle. And I'm like, well, that's way more exciting. That's really exciting. Yeah. 
Wait. Here we go. Between cannonball damage and rough seas, one ship was eventually destroyed, and the survivors hauled a chest to shore and buried it, but not before killing one of their crewmen, a black man, and depositing him in the hole with the chest. And then there's a kid's version yeah. about the Queen's royal ship and pirates <clears throat> and ghosts. The sail- So the loyal sailors... Buried their valuable cargo with all the gold and jewels to keep it away from the pirates and the sailors' ghosts guard it and they'll haunt to death anybody who finds and takes it. So people have been looking for this since the mid-1800s. Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you're telling me I have a shot. (laughs) I'm saying, I think that's how statistics works, is every person that fails makes it more likely that you're going to (laughs) succeed. Exactly what I wanted to hear. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can easily defeat these trained professional treasure hunters <laughs> with my blind luck. Yay. Uh, you just got good vibes. You're just going to vibe it out. Yeah, I think okay. I will. So the only known directions to the treasure are not helpful. <laughs> Travel one mile east of the beach at Neocony to an enormous fir tree then travel 200 yards south to a big rock. Now, I did not even turn up where this came from. Nope. It sounds like BS. Yep. Because I'm like, who who came up with that? Who said that? Yep. Was it the, the pirates who left or the dead guys? Yep. yep. This doesn't... Exa- yeah. What? <laughs> did, was this... I don't remember this in the oral history tradition that you just told me of. I yeah, don't like, think that I don't have to specific. poke holes in this story. No. This, this, this story is a hole. It the is story a is hole. a fishnet. Yeah, it is. Like, it's just made of holes. Yeah. 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 But one person who took this very seriously was a guy named Hiram Smith. And he lived in Tillamook County. He was a settler and he married an elderly woman from the Clatsop tribe. Allegedly, specifically because he wanted information about the treasure. Oh, dude. Not cool. Yeah. Now... She allegedly told him that the money was buried on the mountain at a fork in a small headwater stream. And he went, okay, he couldn't really find a place like that, but he found a spot he thought was promising and dug for years before he gave up. (laughs) Years. Bro, maybe she pranked you after figuring out you just married her for, like, insider information. Yeah, maybe she's pretty happy to have you out of the house for 12 hours a day. (laughs) Okay, honey, I'll find all your treasure hunt. See you later. It's by a... It's by a... A, a pebble. It's by a real mm-hmm. special pebble. Go look at all of them. Find them all. Yeah, exactly. Love that it's like an enormous fir tree. It's yeah. like, well, okay, so it could be enormous. It could be gone. It could be... It could, right, like, right. All, the same size as all the ones around it now. Yeah. Like, we have nothing. This was before industrial logging. They were all fucking enormous. No kidding. So, don't worry. Hiram has a son. Good. <laughs> Pat, who <laughs> in 1890... He continues this tradition. He'd been coming along on the trips, so I guess this wife, who goes unnamed because oh, yeah. that's how these stories work, yeah. uh, and then authors just continue, I guess. Uh, but she... Anyway. So Pat had come along as a kid, and he's like, well, obviously I'm gonna do it. Like, sunk cost fallacy indeed. Uh-huh. And he finds three or four rocks with pictographs scrawled into them, like scratched in, okay. right? And there are some of the legends that said the rocks marking the buried treasure had carvings like that. Okay. So he thought 
he had dug up another rock that was carved with directions to the treasure. And in 1897, he follows his interpretations of the markings to a spot and starts digging. And it's not there. Uh He keeps going until at least 1915. Oh, my goodness. So most of his adult life, he spends doing this. He did not find it. Oh, my goodness. Many other people have tried to find it through the 20th century. In the 21st century, too. At one point, there's two local boys who draw a treasure map as a prank and sell it to somebody. Oh, wow. Yeah. Little rascal type bullshit. It seriously is, but that's also like, dang, you're gullible. Mm -hmm. Because, again, not only is there no indication as to who would pass this information on, but pirates didn't make treasure maps. (laughs) Pirates didn't fucking make treasure maps. That just didn't happen. That's just a a book thing. They became a movie thing. Mm -hmm. If you cannot remember where you buried your treasure, you shouldn't bury your treasure. (laughs) Having a map to the secret treasure defeats the part about where it's supposed to be a secret. Exactly. Like, did pirates bury treasure? Yeah. Like, everybody who has their hands on something valuable and a bunch of wilderness will probably put it in the ground. Like, that's pretty much the most efficient system. But there's, I don't know, like, I'm picking this apart like it's a ghost story when it's just hundreds of years of oral tradition that we're not concerned with the same things I am. But again, it's like, why would you bury it? I guess I can envision a scenario where you're like, this is really valuable, I need to keep it safe, but then why do you leave two guys and they somehow end up dead on top of it? Yeah. Why wasn't the trunk under where those bodies were found? Yeah. Were were the bodies actually any kind of match to the oral tradition, or did you guys just come up with that because it was close enough and it was 1930 and you didn't have DNA? Yes. Like, I just... I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, Devin. Well, I'm, I'm surprised people in all their lookings haven't dug up something not necessarily the treasure but you know like oh we found the first dinosaur skeleton or an organ kind of thing (laughs) well let's see what are some things that they have found um a couple of old brass handles okay 20 chunks of oddly shaped pieces of iron (laughs) a drain pipe (laughs) okay Uh, put it back put it back that pipe was there for a reason it's necessary. Yeah, this one of the most organized efforts to find the treasure was in 1946. And this is, again, people who've spun off. So first we had Hiram, and then his son took over. And then this, Charlie Pike, is a former companion of Pat's okay. during the searches. So apparently this just hops from person to person like a virus. Like a virus! Of, oh, I'm just this close. It's a curse. Get it. So they get they get a bulldozer oh my God. and a gas-powered drill. Oh, my God. And they go 40 feet into the ground. They go for a year. They get nothing. Nothing. Do you know what is 40 feet in the ground? And I don't, but I can tell you it's not a chest that two random dudes after a <laughs> shipwreck fucking dug. It is less than 12 inches down, my friends. Seriously. If it exists like, I could at see- all. I could see making the case of, okay, maybe a sand dune shifted or something. But we're not talking about geological time. No. Right? Yeah, it's people who just survived a shipwreck. Yes. And for some reason, they go, let's keep all this treasure together. Now, in most versions, there's like two dozen people. And I don't know how big the damn trunk is, but I feel like I would be motivated to take a 20th of that and stick it in my pockets. Yep. 
I could hike out. Yup. And I feel like my buddies could too. Yup. <laughs> so why didn't they just do that? Great question. Why didn't they just do that? Now, I will say, the part that is not... Mm, how do I want to phrase this? The treasure part seems really iffy to me, right? Okay. I think that's yeah. come through very clearly. Yeah. In that, <laughs> no, Liz, I thought you found no, this whole thing credible. I'm not sure and... how I really feel about it. <laughs> huh. So I think part of what's really carried it forward is this generational legacy of people who are so convinced this really happened. Yeah. And that they have to do it. Now, the thing that makes it more complicated is that it's not impossible, right? We have yeah. the beeswax galleon around the same time or earlier. There is buried stuff. Yeah. And there's this very interesting tie-in to another episode that we have done about Lewis and Clark. So you'll remember they came out to the Oregon oh, coast, yeah, right? Yeah. That's where they they kind of built their fort. They did their thing. This is their period at Fort Clatsop, right? Which mm -hmm. is not far from where Astoria is now. Mm -hmm. And here's what William Clark wrote. And man, did the person presumably clean this up a lot because this is legible. <laughs> and we know Billy. We do. Okay. So December 31st, 1805, Captain William Clark wrote, with the party of Clatsops who visit us last, who visited us last, was a man of much lighter color than the natives are generally. He was freckled with long, dusky red hair, about 25 years of age, and certainly must be half white at least. This man appeared to understand more of the English language than the others of his party, but did not speak a word of English. He possesses all the habits of the Indians. Okay. A redhead man. Okay. So that's 1805. In 1811, there is a ship coming in, coming around the horn, up for John Jacob Astor oh. to do trading on behalf of the Pacific Fur Company. Mm -hmm. And they build a little outpost, and they go, they go meet the locals, and they meet a guy who says, oh, my name's Soto, and I'm the son of a Spaniard who was wrecked at the mouth of a river. And part of the crew got safely ashore, and only four of them survived, and they married native women. And my father was one of them. And they're like, okay, that's intriguing. Yeah. But, like, they don't have access to the Lewis and Clark stuff, so they're just reporting what they're encountering. Okay. 1813. Another fur trader from the Northwest Company is talking about visiting with the Clatsop, and they say, there came with him a man about 30 years of age who had extraordinarily dark red hair and is the supposed offspring of a ship that was wrecked within a few miles of the entrance of this river many years ago. <laughs> Great quantities of beeswax continue to be dug out of the sand near this spit. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, 1814. Wow. So here is a fur trader at Astoria saying, an Indian belonging to a small tribe on the coast to the southward of the Clatsops occasionally visited the fort. He was a perfect lucis naturae, which is a freak of nature, and his history was rather curious. His skin was fair, his face partially freckled, and his hair quite red. He was about five feet ten inches high, was slender, and remarkably well made. His head had not undergone the flattening process, because the Clatsops were one of the tribes where they did the board thing mm -hmm. on the forehead. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the the 
term for that is for some reason. Cranial deformation. There you go. They did sort of aesthetic cranial deformation. And this guy did not. And that was intriguing, right? Because that's the kind of thing that if you were a well-placed person, you should do. Yeah. You should do this for your kids. Yeah. It would definitely set you apart. Mm Mm-hmm. And he was called Jack Ramsey because he had a tattoo on his arm that said Jack Ramsey. Well... And it was said that his father had tattooed his name on his son's arm in that manner. And that he had several more children, but that Jack was the only redheaded one. Now, I feel pretty confident that this person existed. Yeah. Relative to the standard of evidence we usually have for people in this area at this time, right? Yeah, for sure. This Jack Ramsey fool (laughs) hanging out. Now, here's the thing that's weird. And I'm not a geneticist. A red-headed person having babies with a person with black hair should not produce red-headed babies. Correct. It's very recessive, right? Yes. So, and I don't think this guy was, you know, maybe he's born with it, maybe it's Maybelline <laughs> rocking some kind of thing. So, there's a couple explanations as I understand it, not being a person in this field. One, I guess, could be that it's just a freak, right? It's a... yeah. A strange genetic thing, but it's definitely intriguing that it's not just that he happened to have red hair and otherwise looked like everybody else he was related to. It's that he looked very different and he yes. had this tattoo and he understood English more than most people and he also had this red hair. Yes. So what this book, The Lost Minds and Treasures of the Pacific Northwest, hypothesizes is that the reason he could end up with red hair is because more than one shipwreck yep. had resulted in people going, all right, fuck it, I guess I live here now. Yep. <laughs> That's what I would have guessed. Yeah. And wouldn't that be intriguing as hell? Well, like, and it, not only they're... that, you've got fur trappers, and you have mm-hmm. now some evidence that the Vikings may have actually made it all the way over to this coast. You know, you've got yeah. genetic um, influx In myriad Mm -hmm. ways. Yeah, I think, so I think to support the shipwreck story, people tend to talk about this guy because, you know, if he's 30 when the fur trappers are starting to arrive, he's presumably from, you know, a generation Yes, I think they like to talk about him like he's certain evidence of a shipwreck. And I'm like, well, if anybody was up there for any reason, like... it's kind of how Portland is always going to turn out to be, right? Like, I'm sure people stopped over and got blued, screwed, and tattooed and traded for some fresh fruit and got on their way. Yep. So I think that could make a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't think people had to get married for that to happen. But it's fascinating (laughs) to think in the 1700s. The 1700s. So this is 1805, right? Like, fucking Thomas Jefferson is still alive. Yeah. And we've got people who are like, oh, yeah, no, my dad was English. Yeah. And my mom's clots up, and I live here. Yeah. And I have red hair. Yeah. What's your deal? Yeah. I think that's so cool. That's so cool. So there are other legends. There's the galleons that we have the legends of, right? Mm-hmm. There's the shipwrecks. We know that there's at least two shipwrecks from that era off the Oregon coast. Mm-hmm. We don't know where they are, but we have adequate evidence that they were there at a certain time. Mm-hmm. There's actually legends of older and farther afield connections oh okay so for instance what about a japanese junk 
Oh, yeah. Dropping Chinese coins into the water. So the problem is that everybody was kind of up in each other's business on the Pacific, so it could very well have just been a Spanish galleon that happened to be trading in that. Mm -hmm. But there are legends from the pieces that they found of various ships that there were these Chinese and Japanese junks that were crashed there, including a teak-built ship. Wow, that's really hard to say. A teak-built ship. There's basically hundreds of years right. of ships trading in this area from all over, from Spain, from Portugal, from Japan, from China, right. coming and interacting with these Klatsop folks and everybody else in the region, and apparently having kids with them for maybe multiple generations, mm-hmm. which is kind of, mm-hmm. I think, the implication of John Ramsey. <laughs> well, it has it to was be. His mom had a recessive gene. Yeah. Yeah. That she'd picked up from, you know, maybe her mom yeah. liked a pirate or who knows. Right. So in some ways, that's much more fascinating to me than the treasure concept. Because the treasure mm. has so little to dig into. Where uh-huh. it's just, oh yeah, okay. There you go. That on purpose. Yeah. But there's, there's nothing, like you don't, any details on why they had a treasure and didn't take it with them are just made up after the fact. And that stresses me out. <laughs> but... Something clearly was going on that so expands my view of the United States as, like, this etch-a-sketch picture that gets revealed from east to west, right? This picture that we have of, you know, the white settlers coming from the east coast manifest destinying their asses over to the Pacific. Lewis and Clark and Sacagawea and everybody doing their things. No. They got there, and people had been trading with these guys for generations. Generations. That's amazing. Like, there's this whole other half of the world, and people from the half of the world that they knew about could get there, too. They're like, yeah, well, of course we know Astoria. What are you talking about? Like, it's not called Astoria, but we know these guys. Yeah. Yeah, no, John. I know John. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that dude with his name it's tattooed not... on himself. Like, he's a exactly. pair of underwear at summer camp. <laughs> But that there was this whole world that was already connected. And I would love a, I guess it would have to be a sci-fi or a fantasy or an alternate history thing about what happens if that becomes the empire, right? If you get the Klatsop empire and they become trade partners with China. Yeah. And they expand east and, and conquer the colonies or something. Like, that would be so wild it's just i I feel like when i first read about the beeswax galleon i was excited because i'm like wow how did it make it all the way up there and now it's like who didn't make it all the way up there (laughs) (laughs) that whole pacific rim uh the whole pacific ring of fire being an active trading route is something that Mm -hmm. i don't know nearly enough about to continue the sentence and yet I'm going to but it, it's okay. it is just really so fascinating to recognize to know anyway but now you're showing me evidence of things that people have been saying which is that that was just as active as the east you know as the Atlantic trade routes you know there was mm-hmm. the Viking movement and the um, European settler movement and then the Spaniard movement and then coming up from Africa movement but there was all of that happening on the Pacific, too, with just different people and uh, mostly with oral histories. So it wasn't being written down. 
Mm-hmm. So we don't. Yeah, or if it was, it mm-hmm. was in ways that we don't really cherish. So For there's sure. a similar Chinese legend slash, off, I'm doing this off the dome, so I don't remember if it's like a somebody wrote it down in a travel book one time mm-hmm. type thing, like a Marco Polo yeah. deal, where basically they describe a setting that sounds a lot like the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Like, and I can't remember all the details, but it's something about like the way that they describe the houses and the way they describe uh, the food and the way they describe, like, I think they even talk about the flat head thing. Okay. Sounds very similar. And it's kind of like, well, on the one hand, you know, you could stretch it and I can't read the original, so I don't know how... <laughs> Much you fudged the translation, translation to make yeah. this fit. But on the other hand, I don't see a compelling reason why somebody couldn't have come over and met some people and gone home and written about it. Dude, for people sure. always do that. For sure. Yeah, it's very interesting. Oh, that... <sighs> I still want to find the treasure. You're right that the human aspect story yeah. is a lot more interesting. I'm very curious about the whole, like, the people that lived there and, and their mm-hmm. stories. But I still want to find some gold, yo. I know, but I think what you would have to do is get in tight with whoever has picked up that that legacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of, mm-hmm. that, that lost mine and treasure thing. Yeah. The very first chapter is The Many Mysteries at Neocony. And they're talking about the beeswax, which people thought was a Japanese ship for a long time for some reason. But you have people like, let's see, somebody in 1900, Judge James Wickerham, Wickersham, Judge James Wickersham, you're very hard to say. Yeah, you are. Who talks about going to meet the people at Shoalwater Bay. And he hears the story from them and she shows him an ornament that she has, like a necklace that's fringed at the bottom with Chinese coins. Oh, cool. She says that many years ago, when her great-great-grandmother was a girl, that a wreck came ashore and five men landed alive at the Clatsop village. And one of these men married her great-great-grandmother, from whom these coins descended, having remained always in her family. So he actually buys it from her. Dick move. Fucking rude. I'm sure she didn't have a lot of choice. Yeah. But he gets it and submits them to a scholar who says, these are from an emperor who reigned from 1736 to 1799. No fucking way. Mm-hmm. And they, in fact, he, he follows up and he finds a different string of old Chinese coins from 1614 to 1796. Wow. So... Stuff lasts past when it was made, yeah. so it's possible yeah. that this came along later. But yeah, so I don't feel the need to to get like a big treasure chest, like Pirates of the Caribbean style. But man, would I love to find like a badass coin? Wouldn't that be neat? Oh man, coins. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's fine. I still get a little bit of a contact high when I think about finding a New Zealand dime in Riverfront Park one time. Like nice. It's just it's it's a it's an object that I recognize, but it's it's anachronistic, I guess, or maybe not out of time, but it's an acro whatever the one where it's out of location, and mm-hmm. that's just cool. This this thing has been held by many people, and it has gone on a journey to get to me here. And so, yes. finding an old coin that has no monetary value would still just thrill me to bits. That'd be the best beach day. I had a very strange 
experience. So over the holidays, I had a very hard time because what I didn't realize is that I was ADHD and had gone off my medication, oh. which I was taking for something else. There you go. And I was having a party mm-hmm. without my diet meth. Yep. But I was also just sleeping terribly. There were all the issues with Matt's parents' house. Yeah. Like, the septic tank overflowed and there was just chaos. And yeah. there was a lot going on. So I was not sleeping well. I was very... You know, that kind of buzzy, strange, detached yeah. feeling, that dissociative state that you yeah. get when you're really sleep deprived and you're stressed out, but there's nothing you can do. So we were driving back from Durham, I think, when we had gone to visit some people and we we're coming back to the triad and we stopped at this gas station and we'd had just like a hell of a time because I needed to use the bathroom. There's no place to go. We ended up pulling over this gas station, basically going like, okay, Let's start over. We're all stressed out. We need a snack. We need to pee. And they had this coin machine. You know the things where, like, you put two quarters in them Mm -hmm. and a sticker comes out or a little thing in a little plastic cup? This one literally had coins in it. What? So you would put in, I think it was two quarters. It may have been four. And you would get out. I think I got, like, a peseta or something. They were all in these little plastic containers. Just, like, a little, I don't know plastic ring or something like Lydia would get at the grocery store but they were all I saw bills folded up in them I saw all kinds of coins and I'm like I've never seen anything like this this is absolutely wild and I really really wish I lived closer to this so I could go here all the time are you sure this is real and not a fever dream nope (laughs) here we go (laughs) but I still have the peseta so I got it someplace. Got it somewhere, honey. And now when I put my hand in the moonlight, it's a skeleton. <laughs> so I got that going for me. Well, give it to your little monkey friend so he can be a yep. cursed little monkey friend, too. <laughs> Shit, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a very strange thing to encounter. And that's why I love pulling over in weird places yes. and small places. Because you're like, no mainstream corporate office would approve this. What are you doing? This no. is fantastic. What did, yeah, where did you, so much better. Where did you get all this bullshit money? Where did you get this? Yeah. This isn't... Does it fall through a hole yeah. that just appears five feet off the ground in your bedroom? Yeah. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Can you can you hear voices coming from inside it? Where does this stuff come from? Where did it go? Like, how did you end up with it? And why did you decide to put it in a gashapon machine? <laughs> <laughs> magic. Oh, ma- it is magic. It is magic. Yeah. How mm-hmm. interesting, though, because you know, I I remember mom telling me about her grandpa Lee was in World War II, was overseas, came back with a lot of foreign money. So in currencies from all over the Pacific Rim, all over um, that, what am I trying to say, eastern part of Asia. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, brought them back and just had them. And one of mom's memories is as a kid just playing through Gramps' coins. Just, you know, like they have no monetary value as far as she understands as a child you know Mm -hmm. but and you know they probably weren't anything they were probably pennies you know they were dimes they were small denominations but you still have this kind of like i know this is important i know this has value to someone there's still something about a coin that even if you don't know what it's worth you understand it has value and there's kind of a mysticism to it i feel i think there's something in how 
we've got this iconography that lets us communicate a lot of information in a very, very small space. Like, mm. I don't think there's a lot that's like the size of a dime or a nickel, right? That we go, oh, okay, that means something yeah. to everybody I know. Yeah. But we're like, okay, that's got that face and that's got that number and it looks like this. And I think probably that's why people get so upset when they change them. Is they're like, no, you're changing the magic. You're going to break the spell. You're going to break the spell. won't be worth $20 anymore. Exactly. It's still going to have the two and the zero, but good God, maybe you reverse the order. I don't fucking know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's just paper now. Look what you've done. Yeah, I have a, a little um, cigar box full of coins from around the world that I've accumulated because mm-hmm. I just like to look at them. You just like to look I at like, them. Yeah. I picked up a fair amount of them when I worked at McDonald's because sometimes somebody would slip yes. you one instead of like American money. And I would always just trade it with actual yep. money out of my pocket yep. so I could take it home. I've got like a something from the Cayman Islands. It's got a turtle on it. Oh, cool. Makes me happy. That would make me so I've, happy. Yeah, well, now I just want to go get it and look through it, and that doesn't make good audio. But (laughs) I find that kind of stuff very interesting, and I would love to find, like, a cool coin. And I think it's kind of like the D.B. Cooper treasure, right? Where you're like, I understand that I can't keep it, but can I just have a little? Just a little. Can I just have some to put on my wall? Just a little bit? Yeah, just a little bit. Does she still say Mm -hmm. that? Yittle? No. Oh, God. How dare she (sighs) grow out of her speech impediment? Ugh. (laughs) Sucks. Yeah. Everything today was legendary. She, we went for a walk in the rain. She'd jump in a puddle and she'd go, that one was legendary. <laughs> Run to the next block. That is a legendary puddle. <laughs> okay. The stuff they pick Love up, man. Good time. Yep. Uh, so that's the tale. It doesn't have, like, Forest Fen's treasure or, like, there's no poem, right? There's yeah. no map. There's no indicator. And I gotta say, of the ones that we've talked about... Like, I'm thinking the Port Orford meteorite, or D.B. Cooper's stolen money, or the, I don't know. This has a lot less to go on and has been looked for much more aggressively Mm -hmm. over the years. Mm -hmm. That it doesn't quite tickle my, like, I can go out there with a metal detector I got from Amazon. (laughs) I will win. (laughs) But wouldn't it be so cool if they did? But it would be so cool. I don't know how long wood lasts. I mean, the ship is still around, but it's underwater. Exactly. Ships can last a really long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, if it's if it's not exposed to the element, if it's, if it's just hanging out in sand, I don't mm-hmm. know, it's kind of like the desert, right? I feel like it would be preserved for a while, but I would really hope that the, the wood was rotted away so that, like, I would just turn over a shovel and instead of sand in my shovel, suddenly I'd have doubloons. That'd be doubloons. fun. They'd be so shiny and they'd look so good. Oh my god. They wouldn't be gross at all. They wouldn't be disgusting and tarnished and full of dead guy blood. No, they would look like the coins that Scrooge McDuck swims in. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it would look like. Yes. Oh, uh, I love that stuff though. When we went out to Wallace, actually, I bought and I'm I was watching her make these and I was like, this is so overpriced, but it's still very sweet. Like there was this little wooden elaborate looking treasure chest thing that it was at this gem shop and the owner would basically just fill it with crap, right? Like baseball cards and broken jewelry and random little rocks and this, that, and the other, just like whatever crap. But this one came with a series of clues So we had a treasure hunt when we got home. Oh, my God. And I went and, like, put the clues around our yard so that Lyd had to figure out, like, what is the next clue leading you to? And at the end, she found this thing. And that was very satisfactory. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Jason, when um, our son Jonah was little, 
would take quarters and then one Sacagawea dollar um, and bury them in, you know, a, a dirty part, a dirty part. Oh, my God. Bury them in a dirt patch in the backyard at his mom's house <laughs> and then have Jonah go on treasure hunts oh. so that he could dig those up. Oh, hell yeah. You saw the dirt pile I had delivered, right? Like, there's so much of Lydia's crap buried in I that bet, right now. I bet there is. <laughs> I truly That's bet the there is. the best toy I could have gotten. Yep. The big pile of dirt. Big pile of dirt. <laughs> that in a cardboard box, and she is set. <laughs> Legendary pile of dirt. Yeah. We, I think there's, oh, I, so there's a science museum, again, in North Carolina, where it had this big sandbox, and at the bottom of the sandbox, they had done the coolest thing ever, which is basically they had done these raised relief molds of dinosaur skeletons. Oh, cool! So you basically got to sit there with a little shovel and a brush and excavate a T-Rex skull Hell or yes. whatever from sand. And it was, you know, it was basically only raised a couple inches above the level of the rest of the sandbox. So it's not like you were digging and digging, yeah. but it was still really satisfactory to look at the thing and be like, it says there's another footprint in here. I wonder if we can find it. That's really cool. I like to dig for things. I like to dig for things. That's why you and I are going to, it's it's on our it's on our list now, dude. We're just going to go to random parts of the Oregon coast and be like, well, yeah. we're digging here for the day. Yeah. I like it. Yep. I like to, it's fun to dig a hole. It is fun to dig a hole. <laughs> My chickens know that. God, your chickens are great at it. Honestly, what I am really sad I didn't get into when I lived on the East Coast, now that I'm on the West Coast again, I follow a couple people on the East Coast on Instagram who are privy diggers and dump site beachcombers. And so Whoa. they go dig, you know, because back in the old days, your privy, your your outhouse, your latrine, mm-hmm. you just tossed everything you didn't want or was kind of broken down there. So... No trash, no garbage collectors. No garbage collectors, nope. So they haul up bottles and teacups and porcelain mm-hmm. and, and figurines and jewelry and just all kinds of stuff. And I mean, I'm like, whatever, all the poop is is now manure. Like, it's just dirt. It's just hummus. Yeah. I'm not weirded out by that. And then, you know, this other one, Follow Girl Finds Treasure, and she goes to an old New York dump site that was on the beach and so she finds marbles and jewelry and i mean just the it's trash and i love it it is the coolest trash i also have that like magpie collect it it's different Mm -hmm. i don't care that this has no cash value i want that old fucking bracelet that's beat to shit (laughs) <laughs> I found it. That makes it I special. Found I wouldn't it. buy it, but I found no, God, it. No, God, I would not buy it. If you made me buy it, it would lose all meaning. I would be mad at it. Mm-hmm. But no, I found it, it, so it's special. It represents my skills as a hunter-gatherer. <laughs> Maybe that's it! Maybe! I can attract the best mates. <laughs> I can attract so- Find the shiny like berries. Like a fucking bower bird. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> littering my house with trash. <laughs> being like, and Jason, now you will mate? Now you will make. Then you do your sexy dance. I do my sexy dance, you know. Puff Everybody should watch feathers. Dancing with Birds. It's the funniest fucking documentary I've ever seen. Oh, okay. It's just birds of paradise dancing. It, it shows all their different things. And oh my God, I can't explain why it's so funny. It just, it it, just is. I've watched it like three times. It just is that Just funny. go do it. Get on it. And not stressful. If you need a not stressful watch right now, the whole... The, the most stressful things that happen are that somebody does not succeed in attracting a mate. That's it. So ouch 
Ouch. Mm-hmm. You hate to see it, but sure. nonetheless, it's still really funny to watch these birds of paradise go through these elaborate things where you're like, how did you end up like this? <laughs> how did this end up as how your species propagates itself? You're like doing this elaborate, you have a seven part dance routine in a 20 foot wide, specially cleared area. Mm. And you have to like find a special vine so that she can watch you from above. How are there more than none of you? How are you None of you. How? Why? I love it though. I, I love it. I know there are birds that are smart, but they're not the ones I hang no, out with. No, they're Our not. Chickens. So they dug a sitting hole. Good. They they like to dig holes. Okay. So it's very important to them. I don't know why. I think it's to make so that they can have their dust baths. Yeah. But it's very cryptic because they had their sitting hole. They worked very hard on it. They worked on it for weeks. And Lydia even came over and helped. And I have a great picture of her with her little shovel working on it while two of the chickens just stare at her like, good, yeah. good. Yes. <laughs> little to the <laughs> right. Participate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we approve of you. And then one day the sitting hole was canceled. Oh. Nobody. Nobody would sit in it. They went and dug two new ones really, really fast. And there's three chickens. And they the new sitting hole is so important that if one of them sits in it and the other ones need to be there, they will just beat the shit out of her. <laughs> like, they literally henpeck her. Just, oh. And she just kind of sits there like, eh, 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 quit packing me. I need to be in the sitting <laughs> hole. Until she gives up. But when she gives up, does she go to the old one? No, that's canceled. That sitting hole is over. It is unacceptable. Oh my god. It is not better than nothing. It is worse than anything. (laughs) That's just watch them from my kitchen window drinking my coffee. Like, how do you decide this? That's the tattoo phrase I want you to get tattooed one day. It's not better than nothing. It's worse than anything. I made a margarita out of the bottom of like three different liquor bottles, and I'm just spitting straight cowgirl wisdom right now. You really are. Oh, well, speaking of though, we're gonna, I've got a lead on some fertilized eggs that I'm gonna put under silk because she's brooding. Oh. And chickens are dumb enough that she's not gonna be like where'd those come from what the hell and we're like good good my golf balls as planned yes just so happy and when they hatch out and they're not silkies and she doesn't have a rooster that also won't strike no. her as odd no she's not <coughs> so I'll keep people posted not thinking that far ahead she didn't care where the redheaded baby came from Liz nope nope <laughs> I like how you tied it all together that's oh. what I do Friends, that was my story. I'm sorry I didn't give you a very elaborate map of where you can exactly go find this treasure, but listen to your heart. I'm sure you'll do it. You'll find it if you follow that. Minimum, you'll have a nice nice beach day. (laughs) Indeed. Mm -hmm. Get a little exercise, get some fresh air, something we can all use right now. Yes. (sighs) I have... Let's see. We have patreon.com slash Ouija if you want to go catch up on, like, the warm-ups we did this time. That's why Devin said that's your tattoo motto is because that's what we talked about in the warm-up mm-hmm. is what's your motto? What's the thing you always say? Is, is there a phrase that you'd get tattooed on you? Uh, let's see. There's that. There is Twitter, Facebook, and... Instagram. What the fuck? I just forgot what Instagram was. God, you're not a millennial at all. Wow. Wow. Okay, there's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram uh-huh. where you can come join us. On Twitter, I recently did a roundup while we were kind of taking a bit of time off, letting people know where we've done guest spots, either recently or in the past, if you want to catch up on content. Uh, that's pretty much all I had to say. You got something to say to them, Dev? I would really like it if they would live weird. 
die weird. And stay weird. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. That was a fun one. That was really cool.